was half expecting the music to fade out, but then all of a sudden it stopped, and I figured I better get up here very quickly. Um, so uh, John Niddle is going to come and lead us in an opening prayer, and then we'll um, begin the memorial service for Pastor Stevens. Good evening, folks. It is such a blessing to see all these folks here tonight, and uh, really a blessing to see uh, folks from a long time ago, several pastors. And, uh, it's such a blessing to see you folks out tonight. I've been asked to give a testimony, so I hope hope that's okay with with the family. It's good to see the, the, the Stevens family here, and we'll be praying for them as they head back home. A prayer for them. But we're here to celebrate tonight. Celebrate the homegoing of our our dear pastor. Stevens. You saw those pictures up there. I'll tell you, he's a, he's a good man. I'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on, but he's also a brave man. You see that picture of him in that in that balloon basket? Yeah, having a wedding ceremony for Dave and Aunt Pelicky. Uh You can see a nice foreground in the, in the distance there. It's pretty high in the air. Uh, that's for some brave folks. And uh, so he was a brave guy, that's for sure. Anyways, I'd like to uh, just give a, a short testimony by the pastor. I I was thinking this morning um, of calling him a good man, but then I thought to myself, I was been reading through the book of Mark lately, and our Lord had words. I could, just, I could just hear my pastor, Pastor Stevens, say just what our Lord said to the rich young ruler that came to him and called him good master. What did the Lord say? He said, why callest thou me good? I could just hear Pastor Stevens telling me that if I called him good. And uh, so, but uh, praise the Lord. He, he was a good man uh, in the Lord. And the Lord blessed him quite a bit. Anyways, um, many years ago, as a young Christian, I um, listening to elder Christians and so forth, and I was told many times, or several times, by older Christians that you can tell the character of a man, of a, of a, of a biblical man or a saved man, by his prayer life. And um, many, many times, I've spent many, much time in that back office back there with Pastor Stevens and deacons meetings. And there was, I was thinking about it this morning, there was always two phrases, and if you were here listening to his preaching, you'd hear these two phrases. And he, I, I believe he took the, the one phrase from Jeremiah 31, where God says to the nation of Israel, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. That was one of his phrases. And I've heard that many times in our prayer together back in his deacon meeting. And the other one comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3, where, uh, Eli says to Samuel, he says, if the Lord speaks, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant hearing. And uh, I heard that many times in my prayer life or my prayer times with pastor. And that is indicative of his character. Indeed, that he trusted the Lord and knew that the Lord loved him with an everlasting love, uh, regardless of what happened in his life. And then number two, that he always looked at himself as a servant of the Lord. And because many times he would say, speak now for thy servant, period. And he always offered himself as a servant. And so I thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for Pastor Stevens. And uh, I just pray that uh, as you're here tonight, that uh, you enjoy the celebration of the homegoing of our pastor, dear pastor. Indeed, uh, tonight or today, we he would have celebrated his birthday today. And so we celebrate that as well. 
uh, we celebrate his, this time that he's in heaven today. And um, so I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a service. Tonight you're going to hear several, you'll hear several hear songs, singing, uh, so testimony and word and song. So please um, just lend your heart to those, okay? Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for today. Thank you for this night, but thank you for this blessed service. Thank you for these dear folks that have gathered um, to ponder the homegoing of our dear pastor, Pastor Stephen. Indeed, many times, uh, as I said, many times I've heard him say, be thankful for your everlasting love. He indeed offered himself as, um, so to speak, as a servant to you. And I just pray tonight, Father, uh, that we would as Christians, believers here, that are here, that we would trust the everlasting love of, of you that you showed on the cross of Christ. I just pray, Lord, that you would also help us as your children to uh, submit ourselves to be servants of yours. May you bless this servant, this service. May you bless the family. And uh, just bless our time together. And may you say, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Trust you and uh, you be right here with us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
That was Christy Stevens, for those that don't know, and that was Pastor Stevens, uh, is Pastor Stevens' granddaughter. Yeah, I will mention now, just as an aside, for many of you, this was your pastor, Pastor Stevens. For many of us, we're going to speak tonight. He's our dad uh, and family, and so if you hear us call him dad or Loy, I hope you'll forgive us. Uh, you, can, you can replace that with Pastor Stevens in your mind. Um, we, um, the moment you print something is a guarantee that you've either made a mistake or you've messed something up. And so the very first song, if you had turned to number 614 in your hymnals, uh, we're switching from the unclouded day to a different song uh, due to our inability to get the music for you here tonight. The second mistake was that Maxine is, is joining us on the organ tonight, and I failed to put her in the bulletin, which is there. But as far as I know, if you can find any more mistakes, you can let us know after the service tonight. They're probably there if you look hard enough. Um, also, on the very back, I want to mention there's a thank you from uh, Pastor Stevens' four kids, um, just for everyone that put effort into taking care of Cynthia, uh, encouraging her, and then all the things that are happening here tonight. So I don't, don't want you to miss that as well. So if you can turn to number 614, we will stand together tonight as we sing, I Shall Know Him. I shall know him, I shall know. 
seated. We have a few selected testimonies, and first of that is going to be Diane Wines. So if you would come forward now and share your thoughts. When Bob and I first started coming to Victory, it wasn't many weeks into our visitation that we realized that pastor had a great passion for hunting. We extended him an invitation to feel free to hunt our property whenever he had the inclination to do so. He'd show up on Sunday. He'd say to my husband, is it okay if I could come over and hunt on Tuesday? Whatever, show up. I'd be jumping in the car to take the kids to school, and his car would be parked up on the hill, and I knew he had wandered up the mountain, sitting in his, do they call that a tree stand? I'm not a hunter person, so I don't know type of thing. And he'd sit up there for however. But one thing Pastor did, after he got out of that tree stand, with or without a deer, mostly without, um, he would, he would come, and he would knock on our front door and check in to see how Bob was doing. Bob is a complicated medical person, <laughs> and uh, but every time Pastor was on the property, dreaming of getting a deer or a buck, he would stop for a word of encouragement and a short prayer. He understood Rob's pains, his medical issues, and he was, he was our pastor, but more so than ever, he was our friend. And that's, that's precious, to have a friend that encourages you, and let me get my Bible verse up here. I'm such a technical person. And one of the Bible verses that spoke to my heart when I was thinking of pastor, he was my encourager. He would encourage us with a little prayer, a phone call, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 sums it all up. Encourage one another and build each other up. And he was our encourager, our friend, and our pastor. And he is loved. a couple things uh, just uh, briefly I'm just uh, very thankful that I had the opportunity and my family to get to know Pastor Pastor, Pastor Loy and Cynthia and her family and um, I'm just glad that we 
you've got the opportunity over a few years to really to get to know him and the example that he's been to me as a godly man. Um, and to sum it up, I think I, I, I want to share a few verses because it explains it and says it better than I can. So I'm getting some help from Paul. When um, in First Timothy, I just read a couple of verses because it, it's really to me this this really sums up what Pastor meant to me and how I saw him. Um, in Second Timothy, chapter one, starting verse seven: For God gave us a spirit not fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And that's how I saw Pastor, that he exemplified that as well. And in chapter 2, a couple other verses, where he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which is no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into uh, more and more ungodliness. And I I view Pastor as one that always was handling the word of God correctly and expounding his word, and that was something that was very important to me and to our family, to be under sound preaching. And also, um, verse 22, these are all good things about pastors, so I'm going to read them. Um, So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And um, just thankful that Pastor was that example of being patient and sharing um, and uh, being able to teach. And also just uh, chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, and during suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So I just uh, am thankful that that's uh, pastor um, exemplified and that he, he did and he got a, uh, a warm welcome home. Thank you both Diane and Kirk for sharing those thoughts. If you would turn in your hymnals to hymn number 143. I also learned another one of Pastor's secrets was combat eyesight with a giant hymnal. And this is amazing. So I can see the notes just, just great. All right. Um, we'll sing all four verses of this song, Be Thou My Vision. tissues out. This is the part where the family is going to speak about our, um, our dad. Um, the first one here today is actually written by Jonathan. Um, he asked me to read it, and you'll understand why as I read it. Um, I asked him if he was betting to see if he'd get me to cry as I read this, and uh, I hope that's not the case, but very, very thoughtful um, thoughts here from Jonathan. 
Dad was always there for me. When I think about him and who he was, that's the first thing that stands out in my memories. Regardless of what I did or who I became, I was one thing first and foremost, his son. He was the one I could always turn to when things got difficult, when my back was up against the wall. He was generous when he couldn't afford to give, patient when others would have lost it, dependable when anyone else would have faltered. He was my teacher, my mentor, my counselor, the one who always had good advice and a word of encouragement exactly when I needed it. I didn't realize how much I depended on him being there, even though we were hundreds of miles apart, until he was gone. The longer I live, the more experience and the more I experience, the more I realize just how blessed I was to have him in my life. Dad, you will not be forgotten, and you will be forever missed. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Um, Ariel is going to come up. Ariel. Hopefully everybody knows all of his kids and we're good, but if you don't afterwards, you can ask. I'm married to Crystal, for those that don't know, don't know me. I am going to read what I wrote, uh, but I am appreciative of you all coming tonight, and I'm really glad to see you all here. Uh, but thinking back, my fondest memories of my dad were when I was a little girl. I would follow him around everywhere he went. I wanted to do everything he did. Because of that, he taught me how to mow the lawn and tried to teach me how to fly fish, even though I couldn't really do it. He took time to be with me, and I was definitely daddy's girl. And we had nicknames for each other. I'd call him Pop, and he'd call me Nikki. Oh, as an adult, my last time seeing him is the moment I cherish the most. We were holding hands, our heads touching, and I prayed, thanking God, that Dad and I have a shared hope of being with God in heaven. A hope we can only claim because of our faith in Jesus' blood to cleanse us from our sins. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we both will live eternally in God's presence. So I mourn, I mourn with Cynthia's parents couldn't be here tonight. They desperately wanted to be here, but due to health um, and travel concerns, they weren't able to be here, health uh, concerns, I should say. Um, and so they've written a few things that we're going to read now. Um, the first um, is going to be from both of them, and um, Nathan's going to come up and read that. As you heard Doug say, today's uh, my dad's birthday. So this is, I guess she wrote this from that perspective. She said, happy birthday, dear son. As you celebrate your special 66th birthday, we pray it will be wonderful. Wish we could be there to celebrate with you. You have been a joy and blessing to us throughout the years since we first met you. Love your beautiful smile and your love for the Lord and for our precious daughter. We thank God for you and would give you a big hug if we were there. God has blessed you with the gift of teaching and preaching, which is a special blessing to us. You are absolutely our favorite preacher who has blessed us by expounding and applying the Word of God. We love the times when we can be together with you and Cynthia relaxing with a cup of coffee or playing our favorite game, Men Against the Women. Then on Sunday, we could go to church together to worship God. We love you dearly and thank God for you, Lord. We couldn't ask for a better son or husband for our dear daughter. 
you two equal a perfect pair, just like Cynthia's beautiful cardinals. With all of our love and prayers, Mom and Dad. And then, um, just Melvin wrote another uh, another note, and Josh, Ariel's husband, is going to come and read that. I'm Melvin. My first memories of Loy was a young man waiting outside the classroom for my daughter. It was really strange being in college with my daughter and seeing this smitten young man carry her books from class to class. This was my first introduction to the man that was going to be my son-in-law. The first time he came to our house was super, uh, for, for supper that is, to the man that was going to be my son-in-law was, excuse me, the first time he came to our house, he didn't really know what he was getting into for this, uh, this kooky family. As, uh, as time progressed after the dating and early marriage, he, he became more and more one of the family. It was great when he could spend time together. It was wonderful seeing how he respected our daughter and took time with the children. And then later in life, after the children were grown and spending time with the family, uh, he was something, together with something, we, we look forward to as adults at us. All these things that I've tried to convey in this short remembrance form a larger, more complex memory that I'll always have for you. I want to share a couple funny memories I have of, of Dad and then uh, a couple more serious things. Um, I'll never forget the first time I met Crystal. Uh, we had been talking on the phone, introduced her to a family friend, talking on the phone. I finally drove down to meet her, and um, Loy and Jonathan were on a father-son campout, so they were not there. So I met um, Cynthia and Ariel and Crystal. Uh, we had her amazing homemade pizza. Cynthia kept me up till 3.30 in the morning, quizzing me, making sure I was good to date her daughter. Uh, and finally let me get some sleep, and apparently I passed the test around 3.30, and we had a wonderful time visiting. Uh, Crystal had gone to bed hours before, but, but uh, she's like, Mom's going to talk, talk to him for a while. Uh, so then the next day we go out, and, and we're going to go to Country Junction, which is just down the road, and then I was supposed to catch 476 down to Allentown, we're going to go to Olive Garden. Well, I was talking to Crystal, enamored with her, and completely missed my turn. Continue to miss my turn. This was, I don't even think I had a really smartphone at the time. And so I just kept driving and we're seeing signs for Tamaqua. And I'm not 100% sure if we got there, but I realized that we're really, really lost. And I thought, her dad is going to kill me. This is not going to work well. And so I'm panicking and Crystal's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And I'm like, it's not fine. I'm going to call Loy. So I called Loy. He practically was hanging up on me. It's fine, it's fine. What I learned later was it wasn't that he trusted me. He trusted the daughter that he raised, uh, and he, he knew that was going to be fine. So we eventually made it to Olive Garden and then got married uh, the next summer, and everything worked out all right. Uh, but I, I remember that distinctly and trying to talk to him on the phone, just, just really worrying, because I hadn't really, I said hello to him before we went out that day because he had gotten back the next morning. It was just, it was kind of a funny memory. The other one was that we did marriage counseling with him, and nothing makes a young man be very honest like, having marriage counseling with his future father-in-law who can still, can still call this thing off. And uh, 
we still laugh about the fact that we made it through marriage counseling. And again, he was just so gentle, kind, and it was we were going through a book. It was fine. But I still remember that as, as a funny memory. I wrote down some words, uh, things that I'd use to describe, uh, describe Lloyd. Um, one was just kind. He was just such a kind man. Um, I remember, for those that know me, I talk a lot, and I like debate. Those are two things that you wouldn't use to describe my father-in-law. And uh, I remember telling Crystal, I just can't get into an argument with him, <laughs> which, which is great. I wasn't wanting to argue with him, but like a debate or anything. He was just so gentle and so kind and so humble in the way you present the things that he thought. Um, giver was another word that came to mind. Um, Dad could not speak. He had the mouth cancer, hadn't had a surgery yet. Here's where I'm going to lose it. Um, and I mentioned that I wanted to build a computer for my son, Cody, his grandson. I hadn't finished mentioning it to him before he hands me a, a free motherboard that had been on the back table and writes on his phone that he has a lot of other parts. And two days later, this is while he's anticipating this horrific surgery, he gives me a box of parts, and I was able to build Cody a computer. Um, appreciative and thankful whenever we gave him a gift. It was his cherished gift. He loved the things from his kids. We go, um, were to see his office, all the little knickknacks on there are all things that his kids gave him over the years. Um, thankful was the other one I saw was uh, about three, three days before he died. He had asked my help with something. He could still type on his phone, maybe a little more than three days, but he asked my help with something. I said, sure, I can do that. We, we chatted, and then he texts back, thanks. If you could see how hard it was for him to type at that point, it was still important for him to be thankful. This is why I'm not singing today. I, I can lead music, but I'm not singing a solo. Um, servant was the other one. If you started to think about the things that he did, at first they don't come to mind because he was just in the background doing everything, doing so many different things. Um, we'd be at the house and all of a sudden he'd be up from his chair and he'd be refilling the humidifier, doing this for mom, or going and getting stuff fixed for the kids. He was just a servant. The thing I appreciated most about him as his role as a pastor was he was okay with uncertainty. He'd get to a difficult passage and he wouldn't jump through hoops to try to explain it. He'd say, this is a difficult passage. And here's what I think from my study, but this is a difficult passage. You'll have to study this. And he, he didn't try to, to make something up just to make it black and white. And I really appreciated that about it. It was very honest. This part's on behalf of both my wife and I. But he was such a loving father and a loving husband. The amount of respect Crystal has for her dad is, is really unmeasurable. He had such an impact in her life just through his faithfulness, through his love, his kindness. The, the day that he surprised her with her, uh, it was a flute and a flute case, and just the, the care that he showed to his children. Um, I think one of the biggest stressors as he was facing the end of his life was making sure Cynthia was taken care of. Um, and different texts and different things he indicated, he just wanted to make sure that was taken care of. I remember one, one Sunday, or one, one morning, he asked me to come over to shovel, and it was because Cynthia had to be out there shoveling because he couldn't do it. And he hated to not be able to take care of her. Um, but he left us such a wonderful example of what it meant to have a loving marriage and to care for the person that you love. So he's had a massive impact on this church and all of his kids' lives. Um, and for that, I'm truly grateful. And again, on behalf of both Crystal and myself. All right. Um, I was surprised to learn that my mother-in-law wants to get up and say a few words. Um, and I really appreciate that. I hope we can all look forward to what she has to say.
Boy, am I blessed. <laughs> so much to thank the Lord for, and I thank each one of you for coming tonight. Just you being here, you have no idea what an encouragement it is to me, and how many of you have said, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and man, I tell you, God has just held me up like this, because the last few months have really been very difficult, beginning with the, the brain trauma, because some of you may realize my husband was hit by a truck while riding his bicycle and suffered a brain trauma, and that was quite an ordeal, and then just following right after that, he ended up with the cancer, so we just, you know, it just never stopped, and uh, my prayers are thousands of people, thousands, <laughs> that would tell me our church is praying, our church is praying, our church is praying, I just said, wow, Lord, and I would tell my husband, I said, honey, I have no idea how many people are praying for us. I just have no idea. I said, I just almost wish I could see like that, like a great cloud of all those people that are just praying and, and what that looks like and, and how that must sound to God. All those voices, you know, praying and lifted up for us. I said, oh, you know, talk about hallelujahs in heaven. I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for all of you and your ministry in our lives. And uh, I feel very blessed. I feel very blessed by this family um, that God has so blessed us with. I mean, you know, that that little plaque that says it started with just a couple or something like that. And, and, and then we look at what God has blessed us with these precious children, four children, 17 grandchildren. We're just so thankful. And um, uh, I didn't even have to think of what I would write about my husband. I wrote it down because I wanted to have this in front of my my eyes in case I got too nervous, but I didn't even have to think. And I've said this many times to my husband, and my kids know I've said it to, to them. Um, three things that describe my husband. The first one is faithful. It's just who my husband was. He was a faithful man. And the Bible says it's required of a man to be found faithful. And I believe now God has said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He was a faithful husband to me. He was a faithful father grandfather, and he was always faithful to his Lord. Serving the Lord was just what he did, and he never even thought of turning back and doing anything else. I have to tell you, money and position really didn't matter to him. The titles or whatever, that, that didn't matter. He loved serving the Lord. First time I even laid eyes on him was in a church. Um, our college group that I was in was singing at this church, and he was up front in the youth group, and he was giving the announcements, and and I thought, you know, so that was the first time I laid eyes on this guy. I'd never known that he was going to be my husband. But later on, um, we wound up meeting at the same um, Bible college together. And um, he was a grad student, so he was working nights and attending the college um, during the day because he had gone through Syracuse University, but then he had gotten saved, and he wanted to know more of the Bible. He just had such a gracious um, hunger to learn God's word. He just, he honestly couldn't get enough. And he loved Hebrew and he loved Greek. Greek came natural to him. He wanted to be a Greek professor. God had other plans, but that's what he wanted to be. And um, he just, he just really enjoyed the languages. So uh, it was due to the military, actually, that had sent him to Fort Ben Harrison there in Indianapolis, because that was where I was, and that's where that Bible college was. And um, Although the military had sent him to Fort Ben Harrison, it was the Lord who was directing his paths and brought him there and brought him to Indiana so that our paths could meet, and I just think that's really neat. The second thing I would say that I didn't have to think about, he's a servant. 
my husband was a servant, described him to a T as that was just his personality. He lived to serve and to serve others, and he never thought about it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm such a you know gracious person, I'm helping and I'm serving, or he would never tell anybody the things that he did. He just didn't know it. He just did it, um, and he didn't think anything about it. <laughs> um, when I our first date, in fact, um, he had asked me to the Harvest Banquet at our Bible College where we were attending, and the big banquet table there, there was a spill, and I watched this guy that I didn't know jump up and grab a, a bucket and, and, and mop and, and go help clean it up, and I thought, wow, wow, what guy does that, you know? That is really, I was so impressed, and then he treated me like a lady, opened the door, and I turned around to talk to him, but he's nowhere to be seen, and then all these other girls come filtering out, and I realized, oh, he's back there holding the door for everyone. And <laughs> if you knew him that even yet today, this is my daughter said just the other day, she goes, Mom, she goes, Dad was always so kind. She said, always step out of the way to let you go first. He did. <laughs> that was just him. Um, so I have to say, I was smitten. He always put the rest of us before himself, and he was quick to see our needs were met first, whether his were met or not. He made sure that our needs were always met. Um, there wasn't anything that he wouldn't do and that he did around the church, and he enjoyed every bit of it. I can tell you, personally, there were times that there was a toilet stopped up, and it was just before service, and okay, and he'd come back there, and he'd give himself, and he'd run up here, and I'd watch, and I'd almost laugh to myself, and I think, boy, if everybody knew he was just back there, you know, unstopping the toilet, and then running up, okay, <laughs> let's do this, um, but that was him, and he, again, didn't think anything about it. I only knew it because I saw him do it. The third thing that didn't have to think about is consistent. My husband was consistent. When he started something, he just hung on and he, and he stayed. His whole life was consistent, um, whether it was learning to play the guitar um, or learning Greek. Whatever he started, he just was very, very consistent at it, and you could be sure that he would follow through. Um, from the time he came to Christ as an 18-year-old, he walked consistently with his Lord. He never looked back. It was it wasn't even a consideration. He never thought of, you know, going a different direction. Um, I remember um, he, he never even told our children or told me that we need to be doing this or we need to be living like that. It was just he lived that way. He lived the life. And before us, I, I remember early on in our marriage, um, he just he was a person who lived by routine. He was always up early in the morning, and first thing was Bible. First things, right? He'd be in there reading, and Brenda and I'd see him praying. And it was such a conviction in my heart. He never said to me, you know, Cynthia, are you reading your Bible? Never. He just would do it. He never, never judged us. But you know what? His life judged mine. And I think, hmm, wow, you know, I wish I was that consistent. And it really helped me to, in my walk with the Lord, um, to learn to be more consistent. His life was a conviction to me and made me want to do better. His children knew him to be consistent in his love to them. They never had to wonder. They knew their dad could be trusted and depended on because, well, it's just who dad was. And I can honestly say that Lloyd and I, we lived our life with no regrets. Um, we both had said, uh, if we had it to do all over again, we would do it. Um, we, you know, got married. Uh, he was a Christian school teacher and he had the, the break um, Christmas break, and so it worked out for us to get married again on his break, and I said, you know, honey, I wouldn't change a thing. I know it was kind of like I was spurting on, but I said, I'm glad we did. There's there's no regrets. Um, it, 
they're all good memories. And this is a blessing. Now, uh, the kids and I have been saying this. Um, it's such a blessing. There are no regrets. I, I, don't, I don't look back. There's not bad memories. Uh, you know, with my husband, the kids, I say, there's, there's not bad memories. So the memories are all good. And, and I have to think, what a blessing. And that has really encouraged my heart. Um, I miss him terribly. But thank you, Lord, for all good memories that we can look back on. Um, so I was saying he was the love of my life, and I was to him. He started every morning with, good morning, beautiful. He was quick to apologize and quick to forgive. In fact, I was probably more the one that held the grudge a little bit longer, you know, but he, he never did. He was just quick to say, I did wrong. Would you please forgive me? I want you to forgive me. Okay, but I wasn't quite there. Um, <laughs> uh, he protected, he provided for, and also treated me very special. He dearly loved his children. He doted on his grandchildren. Um, they were everything to him. When they stayed with Grandpa, because he would babysit them, yes, all of them, any of them, any age, he would change diapers, it didn't matter, yes, I'll take them, I'll keep them, and you were, you knew they would be fed, they would be well fed, <laughs> Grandpa would make sure, and they would have a bi bicycle fixed, he loved to fix up bicycles and repair them, so everybody had a bicycle to ride, and um, if it wasn't that, they might get a ride in the big red wagon that was behind the mower, and a lot of you kids remember doing that. I see the smiles there. Yes. <laughs> then when everyone laughed, he would say, that was nice. I enjoyed having you. And it was like every time that was that just made his day. And his life verse had always been Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And it wasn't until the end um, well, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I think that became true because he changed his life verse this past year. And he told me, this is, I think, my life verse, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You know, he came to a total surrender of his very life and accepted God's will for him, whatever that might be. I struggled with it much more than he did. Sometimes I felt that he knew his time was short, but he didn't give up the fight, but he kept on. As you know, those of us that were here at the church, after his brain trauma, as soon as he could, he'd gone through therapy to learn to walk again, to talk again. Um, it took him a while before he could drive again, but it was June 8th when he was hit by the, that big pickup truck. Um, June, July 11th, he was back in his pulpit preaching, and he preached for three months following um, that was a miracle. He loved preaching and teaching God's word better than anybody. He just loved it. He loved doing it. And I had thought now he might be used in an even greater way. This is it. Okay, Lord, you brought him through this. Now you're just going to use him. He's going to have this great testimony. And, but that wasn't God's design. That was when this cancer started. And we could not catch up with it. It was so going so aggressive, so fast. They cut half of his tongue out, and then they were told all the things that they were going to do. Like, what? What? Okay. Really? And um, he went through a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Again, was learning to try to talk again. Started all the way back on square one. And um, I thought, wow, Lord, he comes through this. And obviously, he can't talk great, but he can talk, and he's trying to make it so that you could understand him. He was going to get back up in the pulpit again. And so I watched him do all that, and... Um, but the cancer came back so fast and aggressive, we just couldn't get ahead of it. We just couldn't. 
But you know what? In all of that, he was very patient and suffering. And all of his nurses would come in and say, what a sweet man he was, even in all his pain. Um, his, his light still shone brightly to the end until God said, well done, faithful servant. It's time for you to come home to your reward. That gave me a lot of comfort when I realized, you know what? I even prayed for God's healing, and I kind of felt like, you know, God, you're not listening. You don't hear me. I'm praying, and, and I'm telling everybody else, and, and, and you all know my verse on hope, Romans 15, 13, and I kept hanging on to that. I know God is going to heal, and God is going to use him, and you all would tell me that, but you know, that's not what happened. But then I had to realize God did heal him. God healed him eternally. God healed him. He's He's whole. He's singing God's praises. And, and the other thing is my husband had not been able to eat a bite of food for months and drink a glass of water at all. That was the hardest thing for me, not to be able to comfort him in those ways. And he said, I like to think that the first thing he did when he got to heaven was have a thick glass of water. <laughs> um, so I think God has, has rewarded him. And God said, that's enough. That's enough suffering. I'm bringing you home. And when I saw it from God's point of view, then I realized God knows best. So I am thankful to God for the years I had as his wife to serve the Lord with him. It has been truly a joy and a privilege. We have truly enjoyed our years serving here at Victory Baptist. I can tell you it's, it's um, like nothing else, nothing else that we wanted to do. Even if times were hard, we still didn't want to run away. This is what we wanted to do, and we have enjoyed serving you and serving Christ our Lord here as Savior. I just want you to know. And what a privilege to have lived and walked with such a man as you. Our next song we're going to sing is The Steps of a Good Man, number 467. Lord, make me trust Thee. What? 
Thank you. 
All right, I'll ask you to stand with me as we sing hymn number 393, Faithful Men. I'll keep going. Oh, there it is. All right. All right. Uh, I read this to my wife this afternoon. I got halfway through it, so I'll try to make it all the way through uh, this evening. Um, somebody's cell phone's interfering, I guess. Um, when you think of what a father should be, what comes to mind? Most of us could probably detail a comprehensive list. I'd like to take this one step further and ask, out of all of the descriptions you thought of, which is most important? A father should and needs to be many things. He needs to be a provider, a teacher, a guidance counselor, a husband, a dad. Uh, I know that sounds kind of odd, but there is a difference between a father and a dad. Everybody has a father, but not everyone has a dad. A father... 
father also needs to be a man of integrity, hardworking, caring, meek, humble, and willing to make things right when he has wronged someone. A father needs to be Christ-like, Christ-centered, and most of all, he needs to be faithful. In life, my dad exhibited all these characteristics, and the characteristic that I would like to focus on was his faithfulness. My dad was faithful to his God in several ways. He was faithful in the way he lived. My dad strived to be like Christ, both at church and at home. He set standards based on biblical principles on which he not only preached, but also lived. So if you ever heard him preach something and you wondered if he carried it over into his life, he did. And I guarantee you there's a single thing that he preached that he wasn't already living or had been convicted and was changing. He was also faithful in his prayer life and in the way he prayed. I recently read through some of his prayers in a prayer journal he kept during a very difficult time in his life. His prayers did not include requests for better cars, bigger houses, more money, a better job. His prayers did not include God's judgment on those who had deeply wronged him and his family. In his journal, he simply asked for God for guidance, for God's help to be more like Christ, for God's forgiveness when he sinned, and for a better understanding of who God is. He was faithful to God's calling for his life. Once he was on the path God had placed him on, he did not look back. He had 18 years in the Army Reserves. He was two years away from retirement and resigned at the request of a senior pastor at a local church when he was an assistant pastor, pastor there because the pastor did not want him to do his one week in a month. And he was willing to give that up. God's calling in his life was more important to him than any other potential gain. He was faithful to the calling he received from his church. He served faithfully for 26 years. Often at the end of his prayers, he would write, I love you, Lord. You see, he loved God, and he loved this church, and he stayed faithful. There was no financial benefit, very little pay, no material gain, no accolades. He never owned a house or bought a new car. God had directed him here, and he stayed faithful to that direction. While many pastors and institutions have deviated from God's word, my dad remained faithful to the studying, teaching, and preaching of the word of God. He devoted hours and days to each message he preached. He always had more material than that which was delivered in each sermon. And I, I think he probably could get three sermons out of every single one of his sermon notes. And uh, <laughs> probably should have kept going with how many people came in so late sometimes. Um, you know, uh, during the last couple of months that my dad was capable of preaching, which is after his bicycle accident and before his tongue surgery, before half of his tongue was removed, his mouth was in extreme pain. For the entire week before each Sunday, he wouldn't say a single word for the very simple reason of being able to preach that next Sunday. So those Sundays, when he preached before y'all, was the only time that we heard his voice. His faithfulness to the preaching of God's word here in this church is beyond description. Next, my dad was faithful to his wife. On December 23, 2021, they celebrated their 41st anniversary. He faithfully displayed his love to my mom. He cherished her 
upheld her, supported her, and protected her. Who is faithful to her in the way conformed to the role of a husband, as detailed in Ephesians 5? Who is selfless, sacrificial, and his love towards her? Not once can I or anyone else think of a time where this was not true. As God loves, cares for his church, so my dad loved and cared for my mom. Through the worst of his terminal disease and in the midst of his excruciating pain, his primary objective and concern was to ensure that my mom was well cared for after his departure from this world. He was selfless and faithful in his love for my mom. My dad was faithful to his family. He worked hard to provide for his family. He dedicated quality time for each of us uh, kids through hobbies, vacations, family devotions. Uh, some of the hobbies uh, included slot car racing. That was something my brother is, uh, that was something he really took time with Jonathan. Uh, model cars, model trains, that was when I was really young. Model rockets, hunting, fly fishing. I know Ariel gave it a shot, but <laughs> if you need continuing lessons, I'm still here. So, uh, Our vacations were not ex extravagant. We didn't have money to take us to Disney World or anything like that. Most of our vacations consisted of tent camping. And I know a lot of people say, I've never seen me in a tent. But we enjoyed it, and it was quality family time. And it's that, those types of experiences that, you know, down to our grandkids, we've continued to carry on. And that's one of our favorite types of vacations is to go uh, tent camping. Um, he, he was faithful. Uh, my dad was considered by my peers to be very strict. When I was a teenager, there's a lot of things that I couldn't do that all my friends could do. And they're like, man, your dad is so strict. And, you know, uh, I can't remember. There's at least a couple of times that I had gotten into trouble when I was with a group of kids. And my dad would be the first one there. And uh, I just I remember how much my dad cared about us uh, in, our, in our spiritual growth. Because he wasn't just... His, and he may have been very strict, but uh, his intent was to aid not only in physical growth, but also spiritual. He was faithful to his family in the way that he raised his kids according to God's word. He prayed for each of his kids to have a desire to serve the Lord and to give their lives. give their lives over completely to God. He encouraged us to be faithful in our Bible reading, church attendance, participation. He wanted us to pass this on to his grandkids as well. It thrilled him to know that many of his grandkids have accepted Christ as their Savior. He baptized several of them here at this church uh, recently, Doug and Christmas, and then mine quite a few years ago. My dad's greatest desire and joy was to know that his kids were serving God. Lastly, my dad remained faithful in the worst of situations, from sickness even to death. My dad's faith in God never wavered. His faith did not depend on his circumstances. The people around him, current politics, financial troubles, or any other stressful, any other stressful situation. Um, some people have asked me about Facebook. I don't have social media, and that's for other reasons, but um, 
someone informed me that my dad shared a verse that my mom quoted, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Men who are faithful to God are quickly becoming a rarity today. At the center of my dad's life was his faithfulness to God. It shaped him, motivated him, and defined him. He can now say 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And there's no doubt in my mind that God has now looked upon my dad and said, well done, thou good faithful servant. In life and now in death, my dad continues to encourage us to be and to remain faithful to a faithful God. And so I would like to focus. I'm not a speaker by trade. I'm a project manager. So uh, all you pastors out there, forgive me. I did not take homiletics, okay. um, but uh, I would like to focus on being faithful to a faithful God because that's the example that my dad left behind. Years ago, I had a, a trumpet teacher who would explain techniques to produce an acceptable sound, and believe me, an acceptable sound is very important to your parents. <laughs> All right, and uh, he would talk about breath control, how to hold, uh, how to what form your mouth has to take, and all these different things in the Bible tongue is used. And uh, do you know what helped me to understand more clearly what he was teaching? Because as often as he could tell me something and how to do something, it never would really be fully applied until I could see it until I could see it applied. And so once he demonstrated those techniques, then I would do my best to imitate him. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an ensample. Philippians 4 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do, or put into practice. God has given us clear instruction through his word in how we are to become more like him, how we are to imitate him. Often God brings someone into your life as an example who is living out, who is displaying the principles taught in his word. And the reason that God does this is he does this to help provide clarity. Can you think of times that you read a passage in Scripture and someone comes to mind? A passage on deacons in the church. You know, automatically, I've been to several other churches since we've left here. Uh, but I automatically think of John and Larry, and it's because of well, however many years. I mean, I've known John for, I think, 30 years. And uh, Larry, I don't know, how, at least 18, I think, something like that. Larry, I mean, <laughs> and and uh, those, those two men come to mind. They've been faithful in their service. A passage on willingness to serve in the church. Uh, some of you were here back when Vic Thomas was here. That man was always in the background doing whatever needed to be done. And we had uh, uh, Everett. He's the second person I thought of that automatically came to mind. He was such a sweet man. Passage on hospitality. Can you think of anyone who has opened their doors and has no problem doing that? Man, I can't. My grandparents are like that, and they are so prone to give to others, even to their hurt. How about this one? Uh, the devil and his demons. Well, now I'm just getting off track because we're not going to bring faces to mind with that one. But, uh... <laughs> If ever I want to know what it looks like 
to live a life faithful to God. I don't need to look to the most well-known pastor, evangelist, movie star, politician, psychiatrist, Christian or otherwise, the richest or most successful for an example. Someone once said, let it never be forgotten that glamour is not greatness, applause is not fame, prominence is not eminence. The man of the hour is not apt to be the man of the ages. A stone may sparkle, but that does not make it a diamond. People may have money, but that does not make them a success. It is what the unimportant people do that really counts and determines the course of history. The greatest forces in the universe are never spectacular. Summer showers are more effective than hurricanes, but they get no publicity. The world would soon die, but for the fidelity, loyalty, and consecration of those whose names are unhonored and unsung. The example I looked to was not famous, rich, well-known, even amongst those in his occupation. He wasn't an Ivy League graduate. He didn't write any books. I look at my dad and the example his, his life leaves behind. Life can be hard, unfair. People can hurt us. And sometimes it feels like our problems will never let up. These situations can lead us to question our faith in God, to his word and his promises. Over the many years that my dad was in full-time Christian service, he never owned a house, had the money to buy a car. He had extensive health issues spanning over two decades. Uh, most of the time, the people here didn't even know what he was going through. People tore him down over and over. He took more pay cuts and raises, and yet he remained faithful to his God. Remembering the life my dad leaves behind, and in light of God's word, I'd like to look at three simple and, for your sake, hopefully short points concerning our faithfulness to a faithful God. The comment I often hear most often when a believer walks away from God, from his faith in God, and maybe it's even crossed your mind, it's crossed mine. Why? After all that I've gone through, should I be faithful to God? So let's look at the why. Well, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's a requirement. It's a commandment that we are to be faithful. There's something missing from this requirement in this verse, though. Many times uh, we may wish that that thing was included in this verse. And part, part, of my, uh, part of my current occupation is drafting contracts based partly on proposals. And when I look at those proposals for a potential contractor, I have to look at what is included. But you know what's just as important? What's excluded? And from this verse here, we are left without exclusions to this requirement. There are no exclusions. We are to be found faithful. No matter what we go through in life, no matter what God allows to happen in our lives, no matter what others do to us, even in church, there is never a valid biblical excuse to stop being faithful. Another answer to the question why is found in 1 Corinthians 1.9 where God makes or where Paul makes the simple but completely true and verifiable statement, God is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Why should we be faithful to God? Because he himself is faithful. It is part of his immutable or unchangeable character. The great truth about this is that his faithfulness is dependent on his character, not on us. Aren't you thankful that God's faithfulness doesn't depend on us? Every single day, I don't know about you, but I am a sinner saved by grace. And every day I have to go to the Lord for forgiveness for something. And if his grace, his faithfulness to me depended on me, what a state I would be in. 
2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. That's because faithfulness is his character. Another translation reads, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is an absolute. We can look at the current state of the world or our everyday problems that multiply do not seem to recede. And we may take our eyes off of Christ as Peter did and begin to sink, to misplace and lose our faith, to leave our first love. And yet, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Our God is a faithful God. The last answer to the question why is that there's a future reward. Revelation 2.10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. God rewards a faithful servant. We may never see any reward here on earth for serving faithfully. We may never even receive a thank you. But God knows. He remembers. And he rewards. And besides, those heavenly rewards and being in the presence of God far outweigh anything here on earth. Man, do you think my dad, if given the opportunity, would return here to life on earth? Is there something here that would call him back after what he's experiencing right now? No. Absolutely not. In fact, he would rather that we join him there. Next question concerning being faithful to a faithful God is how. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, we see that God is faithful to bring to completion the work he started in us. Philippians 1.6 tells us that we can be confident in his work. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says that the Lord is faithful. He strengthens, he keeps, he protects. It is God that provides enablement. It is his strength on which we depend. In any circumstance and against all evil, it is God who protects. Through these actions he takes towards us, and because of the immutable nature of his character on which his faithfulness is dependent upon, he set us up for success and being faithful to him. He's removed all excuse. The question no longer is how can we be faithful to a faithful God. The question should be, how can we not be faithful? Lamentations 3.19-23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Mercies in this particular passage is the Hebrew word has said, which has the idea of loyal love. Uh, last couple years that we were here, my dad uh, preached several messages where he focused on this word. It was something that he just drew out of the Bible. And this word meant a lot to him. We heard um, a lot on loyal, God's loyal love. The concept of God's loyal love was very important to my dad. He spoke of dwelling on this word, this concept of finding strength from this to continue on faithfully. Not only does God give us his loyal love, but he gives it to us each day. No matter how horrible yesterday was, how horrific events, uh, recent events may have been, God daily gives us a fresh supply of his loyal love. This passage also says every morning, that, see there's no expiration date, and the supply of God's love, loyal love, is inexhaustible and limitless. Doesn't it thrill your soul to know that we don't just wake up one morning and God no longer loves us? Or that he has run out of love for us? Sometimes I thought my parents ran out of love for me after all the stuff I pulled on them. <laughs> but we, we know better than that. And uh, God's love never runs out for us. His loyal love is dependable and available each day. And how do we know this? Well, this passage also says, Great is thy faithfulness. 
God is faithful to supply us with his love each day. Verse 24 tells us that Jeremiah had made God his portion and therefore have I hope. When we realize that God is all that we need and we make him our portion, we have hope. This hope is founded in a faithful God who does not change and provides the motivation needed to be faithful to a faithful God. With God's loyal love, a fresh, inexhaustible supply each day, and God is our portion, the question once again is not how can we be faithful, but how can we not? We looked at the why, we looked at the how. Now let's look at to what extent. To what extent are we to be faithful? Well, that takes us back to Job 13.15. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He was in anticipation of death. One translation reads this way. He will surely slay me. Job thought he was going to die. And even in the face of imminent death, Job continued to be faithful to his God. To what extent are we to be faithful? Well, even unto death. Doesn't this put everything else into perspective? Someone could tell you you're going to lose your house. That's a horrible thing. I've known people to go through that. Uh, or you didn't get the job. How frustrating that is. I've been told that more times than I can count. Or we have to let you go. Now, I've never been told that, but I've known people that have been told that. Maybe a believer mistreats another believer. You get burned at a church. A doctor may read over results and pronounce a determination that you don't want to hear. You know, uh, my family and I were here back in December and January to help with the care of my dad. And my dad, I took my dad in one day for his radiation treatments. And we met with his radiation doctor. And, uh, He, uh, doctor told me his skin he'd had the day before uh, revealed that the cancer had spread to his lungs. He had the radiation he was having for his neck. Uh, wouldn't be impacted, and they could not continue treatments. And I watched my dad's face. Have you ever seen someone go through that? I mean, they're, they're looking at somebody and their eyes just drop. You wonder what's going through his mind. But whatever the case may be, when we are committed to being faithful to God until death, nothing else matters. And the great thing about this is that perspective removes all excuses. To expound a little more on this perspective of faithful until death, I'd like to recall one of the last passages my dad preached last September. It's online, it's on YouTube. I, his best messages really were after his bike accident. I don't know what changed, but something did. And uh, he preached a message on Philippians 121. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you take a look at that passage in your Bible, you'll notice that both times the word is is used, it's in italics, which means it's not in the original manuscripts. It's added in for clarification. My dad would often quote this verse this way, to live Christ, to die gain. My dad had the correct perspective. As long as God would allow him to live, then Christ. Even unto death. Because to him to die, gain. He was faithful unto death. He looked at death as gain. And nothing in this world mattered to him more than his Savior. bring this to a close here. We've looked at the why, the how, and to what extent we are to be faithful. 
this evening, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you being faithful to a faithful God? If not, what excuse are you using? Nowhere in the Bible are we ever given a reason to stop being faithful, no matter where we are. However, we are given plenty of reasons to be faithful. If you're at a crossroads or already heading in the wrong direction, can I encourage you this evening to put some blinders on and look to God and His Word for at least one reason to be faithful to God. Look to the godly examples that God has placed in your life. For me, it's my dad. He was faithful to a faithful God, even unto death. Now this evening, there may also be some who don't know Christ as their Savior. And the first step in being faithful to a faithful God is placing your faith alone in Christ alone. For my dad, there may have been some anxiety about death, but there was never any anxiety about where he was going. That's the great thing about salvation. You can know where you will spend eternity, without a doubt, and that removes all fear of death. Wouldn't you like to know how you too can know, without a doubt, where you will spend eternity? There's a God who loves us and saves us. And I know there are several people here who would be able to show you through uh, the Bible and show you, without a doubt, that you're on your way, how you can know that you're on your way to heaven. And lastly, my dad's greatest joy for the outcome of this service for each of us, would it be know that the unsaved would place their faith in Christ. And those of us who are believers are being faithful to a faithful God. Um, this is, I, I did this in three sessions. I did the eulogy and message, and then also an address to this church. And the third part is more personal to this church. Uh, but it applies to all churches and pastors. And it's from the perspective of, you know, I, I'm a charter member at this church. And uh, a pastor's kid for a long time. And then also served with my dad for several years. Um, this church is going to continue on now. I pray it does. I really do. And you're going to be looking at choosing another pastor. And if and when you do, take care of him. Take care of his family. Make sure that he's well compensated for the labor of love that he does on your behalf. First Timothy 5.18 says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. The pastor is worthy of a decent pay. He's also worthy of your financial care in difficult situations. Pastor has the most important responsibility concerning you, and he's held accountable to God for that responsibility. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. My dad right now is giving an account for the way that he gave spiritual guidance and leadership to you in this church. That they may do it with joy. And the next part says, and not with grief. I pray that my dad right now is able to do that with joy. For that is unprofitable for you. For this reason, your pastor is worthy of your honor. I know my dad gave his all for this church, much more than some of you may ever know. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Whatever whomever you go with as your next pastor. Honor the pastor. 
that pastor works hard. It's not just one day a week, Sunday. He has a greater responsibility than any of us towards one another. Be careful how you treat the pastor's family. A pastor's wife and children see the worst of what believers are capable of. I've seen my mom go through a lot over her time here. Pastor's kids are often put on pedestals and told a pastor's kid shouldn't do that. Well, guess what? You as believers are held to the exact same standard. That standard is God's word. There's no difference between me and you. That may not sound like a lot to you to, to say something like that to a pastor's kid. But there have been many pastor's kids that have gone astray due to the words and actions of God's people. And I believe God's people will be held accountable for this. And so will those kids. But I believe God's people will be held accountable for this. Be careful what you say. Encourage them. Pray for them. Protect them. Encourage the pastor's wife, her kids, who will never understand the spiritual attacks that they face. By their dad being pastor or their husband being pastor, they place them on the front lines. Do not give credit and do not participate in gossip. Any action taken on the basis of gossip is not biblical. Never will be. Speak with your pastor one-on-one. -on -one. Give him the benefit of a doubt. Actions taken due to gossip all harm all that are involved. And even more importantly, the testimony of Christ in his church. And most importantly, the man that you choose, pray for him. Pray for him as your pastor. He needs God's protection, his provision, wisdom, and guidance. And if it ever you have any question on how to pray for your pastor, what do you think you can do? Ask him. Who else is going to know better his prayer request, what he needs, what he's dealing with? When a church values, compensates, prays for, honors, and cares for the pastor and his family, it brings glory to God and presents a great testimony to the local community.
All you may be seated. We just have a few more things for you tonight. Uh, my dad, Pastor Doug Diner, is going to come and give a closing statement. And then Larry, the deacon of this church, is going to come and give the closing prayer. After both of those things are done, you're welcome to join us upstairs. Is it immediately following? Yes, immediately following. We have a birthday cake for Pastor Stevens. This is six, would have been his 66th birthday. Uh, so we have some cake and some other refreshments up there for you. So we'd ask that if you have the time and can stay, uh, that you would join us for that. So first, Pastor Diner. Pastor Lloyd Stevens finished well. What about you? In the Old Testament, there were a number of kings that started well, didn't finish well. Over the 47 years that I've been saved, I've seen a number of believers not finish well. Solomon comes to mind as one that started well. The Lord appeared to him and asked him what did he want. And he asked for wisdom to be able to lead the children of Israel. Didn't ask for gold and fame or anything like that. And, and he did well. But he didn't end well. He was influenced by his 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he served idols. Uzziah was another one. Started well. Served the Lord well for 50 years. But then he got proud. With his power. And he went into the temple to offer incense. That only the priests were allowed to do. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. And. He's had that the rest of his life. So how can you and I finish well like Pastor Stevens? I think there's a clue in the early lives of a couple kings, Joash and Uzziah. In their early years, Joash served the Lord as long as Jehoiada did, Jehoiada did, but when Jehoiada died, others influenced Joash, and he sinned against God. But Jehoiada, while he was alive, was a faithful influencer in Joash's life. Uzziah, he sought. God during the days of Zechariah. But then he got proud and didn't finish well. So what does it take to endure like Pastor Stevens? One way is to surround yourself with faithful Christians and allow them to speak the truth to your life. Never stop inviting counsel, godly counsel. Never stop listening to godly leaders. And make sure you choose good influencers, especially their young people, 
look to those who are older and glean from them, those who have had great experiences and be able to give you what God has done in their life and seen them through very difficult times. Walk with the wise. Make sure you stay faithful and make God-honoring decisions all the way. And stay in touch with God every day. Even in your latter years, I see a few of you that kind of look like, like me. It's important to finish well, no matter how old we are. Finishing well is what pleases God. When I was asked to say a few words at the end, immediately this verse came to my mind. Nathan touched on it. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. For I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. That was Pastor Lori Stevens. Uh, my name is Larry Mascella. I've been speaking here at this church for those who don't know me or here and I just wanted to say a few words before about pastor and my relationship that we had here. As, as a deacon and a pastor, we worked together uh, pretty closely. And many people don't know that during our deacons meeting and stuff, like John mentioned before, we would always say, pray for people. That's one of the first things we would do at the deacons meetings is Pray for people in our church who need, or need healing. I can look around the church right now and just see many people who we, me and Pastor Trapp, prayed for. Many people who aren't here anymore we prayed for. Whether they, 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 rather they went on before us or if they moved away, we, we still prayed for them. And that's the one thing I saw about Pastor and learned from Pastor is his prayer life. He really cared for this church and prayed for it every day. Many, many times back there, he would even he would see tears in his eyes when he prayed for people. That's how much he loved the people here. So, so I've seen that in, his, in him and he's just a good prayer warrior for this church and for the people there. Another thing I always saw about Pastor, he was, he was a, very, a very blessed man. With Cynthia, his wife, he, he loved his wife and very lovely wife he has, and he was blessed by having her all these years, and all his children, and maybe all these grandchildren up here, all seventeen of them. <laughs> he's he's blessed, very blessed in that area. 
and you know, also the his ability to preach it was the biggest blessing God has given to him. And it, you can tell that in his heart because he really enjoyed getting up here and preaching for his congregation. There are many times that he, he, if he could have, he could have gone for hours <laughs> preaching. Like, like Nathan said, he had notes more than he needed. <laughs> and he could have gone on, but he, he kept it short many times and then he ran it in two or three days instead of just the one day because he enjoyed preaching so much. And the Lord blessed him with that. The Lord blessed him that to, to learn the, like, his Greek. He was an expert in the Greek language, which is very hard because I took it in college myself and I'm not very good at it whatsoever. <laughs> so I know Greek this is the hardest hard area to learn, but he, he picked it up and taught it well. And it's just a pastor was, was such a lovely man for this church. He was so blessed. And because he was blessed by the Lord in so many ways, it made us be blessed because we knew him. Through his preaching, we were all blessed. And we we were able to learn from God's word because the pastor was such a good teacher and preacher. He, he made it simple for us to understand. He, he, he just made it so that when we left here, we would think about what he just got done preaching about. And it would stick in our hearts because of the way he presented it. So just want to remind you that both the pastors here, we still have many last couple many memories of him up here preaching. Like like Cynthia said, after his bike accident, he was up here only a month and three days after his accident, after his brain injuries and everything, and he was back up here preaching. And that just looking back at that it's just amazing to remember and and his willingness to preach and like just like Nathan said his preaching even changed a little bit after that point and got even better than it was before. But that was not very possible because he was his preaching was always so good. Well, it's gonna be hard to keep going going on with this church, but we're gonna do our very best to keep it going. And just to do our very best to keep on serving. With many people in this church have come to love our pastor. I came to know him because of this church. I know my daughter Emma, she was only one year old when we moved here. Now she's just about to turn 23. And pastor's the only preacher she's really known and sat under. Except for those evangelists who came through and guest missionaries and stuff we spoke. And Pastor was always made sure that we always had the right speakers here at the right times to to give us his word, and he always was very picky about who preached up here. So it all, it all came down to getting. Pastor wanted his word to get out, and he wanted the, the right words to get out, and that people would come to know him as the Lord, as their savior, because of it. So, I guess I don't have any more to say, so I guess I'll just go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness towards <laughs> us. 
Thank you so much for our pastor that you have given to us, Lord, for these last 26 years. We thank you for him, like for the fact that he started this church all from scratch. And we have, we have seen many people come and go through the, of the years, Lord, and we know that many people were touched because of our pastor, Lloyd Stevens, and many were saved because of his preaching and his teaching, Lord, and we do thank you for that. And many people have come to know, know you, Lord. Continue just blessing this church, Lord. Continue blessing Pastor Stephen's wife and family, and continue just watching over them. We do ask the Lord continue just blessing this church as we move as we move on. Continue just helping us, Lord, just to be the glory for all that's done, Lord. That's that's what Pastor wanted. He wanted you to get all the glory for all that's done, and he didn't receive any for himself, Lord. We just thank you that much that he was such a humble man and. He would give you glory for it all. We ask you, the Lord, to close this service and help us, Lord, just to do our very best to be faithful service with you, Lord. I pray. Amen.